are going to go deep in the Gospel of Mark between now and Easter as a church. And before we get started with today's uh, text, I want us to just be reminded of some of the opportunities that we have available for you to get plugged in during this series, to really make the most out of exploring this verse by verse. So as we go through and teach, there's also going to be companion connection groups that are going to be happening on the Gospel of Mark. And we found this great series from Francis Chan, and it's just a fantastic series where Francis actually films on location uh, the very things that we're going to read about in the life of Jesus. And you could be a part of one of those groups, or it's not too late to join one, to start one, or to host one. I think it would be very beneficial for you to be able to go through this because it's such great study material just to get this even further in your heart. Also, remember that every week, whether we're doing this series or not, every week we have the YouVersion Bible app. We have the live portion of that, which if you have that Bible app, you can just simply go to the menu and then you can click on events and make sure that your, uh, your, your area location services are enabled and you'll be able to see all of the churches around that are using YouVersion Live. Just click on Bettendorf Christian Church and you'll be able to see my notes as well as make notes of your own. That's available every week to you as well to help take this study deeper. And then even beyond that, within YouVersion Live as well as on the website, there are uh, study notes that you can actually take a sermon study guide each week and go deeper in the sermon. Our uh, pastoral staff has been on rotation since I believe about June, uh, every week writing a sermon study guide for the weekly message. So it just takes it just a little bit further and gives just a little bit more depth to it as well. So you got Sunday morning, you got the groups, you've got version, you've got the study guides that we create in addition to all of those great resources. So if you're wanting to grow, as a Christ follower, and you're wanting to be someone who really just gets completely submerged in this scripture and in this text and get this in your heart and see the fruit it will produce, there's a lot of opportunities for you to do that. I would encourage you to do all of those things as you um, have opportunity because I think that God is going to use this to grow our church um, in our relationship with God and just really uh, help us to have some strong roots as Christians. Amen. So I want us to take advantage of those opportunities. Go ahead and go up. Uh, go ahead and open your Bible up to the Gospel of Mark. As you're turning over there, I'll give you just a little bit of background on this author. Um, this man's name was John Mark, and he was most likely a small child at the time of Jesus's life and ministry on the earth. So this was written sometime after Jesus had already ascended into heaven. But this is the earliest recorded gospel that we have, so it's most likely the first one that was written. John Mark actually ended up becoming an apprentice of the Apostle Paul. He also spent significant time with Peter, the disciple of Jesus. Most people believe that Mark's account of what Jesus did and how he uh, uh, lived his life and things he said and things he did and the miracles he performed are recordings from Peter's eyewitness account. And that's what most people trust uh, the Gospel of Mark as being. So it's actually, uh, yes, it is uh, the Gospel of Mark, but it is also heavily influenced by Peter's eyewitness accounts as well as most likely the accounts of um, Paul as he spent both time with both, uh, spent a lot of time with both of those men um, as well. So as we read this, just you can kind of keep some of those things uh, in mind. It's also an interesting note. Uh, if you're interested in this, it's also the shortest of all four of the Gospels, of the accounts of Jesus' life. 
and all of the other three gospels actually contain all of Mark in them in some way or form or in some manner or another. So Mark's a shorter one. Everybody else starts off with genealogies and nice words and all these things, and this person beget this person. And Mark just says, yep, Jesus came. He's the son of God. Let's go. All right? So if that's more of your personality and kind of how you're wired, Mark is for you. If you're the person who likes all of the details and all those things, Mark's going to skip over a lot of those things. And you have to remember that when you're studying the Bible because a lot of us read the Bible like we're reading a storybook and we think that this thing happened and then like, you know, uh, uh, five minutes later, the next thing happened. There could have been several months uh, happened in between these various events. And so you have to remember, it's not necessarily boom, boom, boom at every single turn point. So just keep that in mind as you're reading Mark calls. You can be tempted to just go, hey, wait a minute, how did this happen this quick? Well, there's probably some gaps there in that because he's just trying to get to the main point. And the ultimate purpose and the main point of the Gospel of Mark is to present and to defend Jesus's universal call to discipleship. Jesus' ministry, his life, his purpose, and his calling to make disciples and for us to be disciple makers. And he's uh, showing us uh, the purpose of that and helping us to understand the importance of that. So let's go ahead and read Mark chapter one. We're just gonna go through the first 13 verses today. That's as far as we're gonna get. So Mark chapter one, verse one. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, this is John the Baptist, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So Mark opens up first by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. This is the gospel, or that word gospel simply means good news. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he begins to talk about this prophetic messenger that was coming to help prepare the way for this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ. And he's speaking directly from Isaiah 40 and 3 and also Malachi 3 and 1, where John the Baptist actually fulfilled those prophecies as that forerunner or as that person who is preparing the way for Jesus to come. You have to understand all of the rituals, 
all of the symbols, all of the calendar and the holidays and everything that people had been celebrating up to this time was pointing people's hearts in anticipation for the coming of the king, the Messiah, the one who was to bring salvation. There was good news. And every single generation probably had their own concept and their own idea about how all this was gonna happen. Because every generation probably was looking for good news according to their current circumstance, and they were looking for salvation and deliverance from whatever challenge they were probably immediately facing. So they were looking for the Messiah, the Savior, the Chosen One. They were looking for him to kind of be a certain way and do certain things. And a lot of times they were looking to the prophecies, yes, and they had learned the prophecies, but oftentimes they missed it because they got in their eyes on their current circumstances. Because during this time the, uh, in, in Jerusalem, they were living under Roman occupation. So a lot of the people who were in anticipation waiting for the Messiah were thinking he's going to come. And yes, he's going to provide forgiveness of sins, but he's also going to get rid of those nasty Romans, right? He's probably going to get rid of all these people because they're causing us problems. And so they're looking for like a, a warrior king, right? And they're looking for this person to be a certain way. And Jesus didn't necessarily fit their molds, but yet he fulfilled all of the prophecies um, that were spoken about him. There are even certain things in the life of Jesus that happened that said he did this because it would fulfill the prophecy that was spoken. And here we see one of those instances being this preparing the way for the Messiah, preparing the way this, this forerunner named John the Baptist. Now, as we look at this, we, we, we see that Mark opens up with these prophetic fulfillments and he opens up with these quotes from Isaiah and Malachi and it shows us also that there is this, this deity who is coming down to earth but also yet he's man. He's fully God and he's fully man. That still blows my mind to even try to fathom and think about. But he's yet fully God and he's also fully man yet without sin. The gospel that Mark talks about, the good news is that God's plan for salvation through divine intervention is here. He's saying it's here. Like that's what Mark is trying to proclaim from the onset of his, of his book. He's saying he is here, the good news has come, it has arrived, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. All of the covenant laws, all the prophecies, all of the symbols, all the rituals. Could you imagine? And now he's here? Like he's here now. And John has been preparing the way. He prepares the way for the kingdom of God by calling Jews and Gentiles to both repent and be baptized. This is interesting because baptism was not commonly practiced prior to the command of Christ uh, for disciples to be baptized. There were instances where people baptized and there were certain baptisms, but it wasn't a part of regular rituals and regular things that they would do. So this was a unique thing that John had been called to do. And the type of baptism that he was performing was a baptism for repentance. So he was calling people to repent of their sins and then to identify with this idea of repentance being, being washed clean by being submerged or immersed in this water and coming out being forgiven or made clean. And so they were confessing their sins, Scripture says, and they were being baptized in the Jordan River 
for repentance. And it was all to prepare their hearts for the coming of the one who was promised. This was all in preparation to get ready for this new king, to prepare the way. And so you have to imagine this scene because these people weren't being baptized somewhere private like what we have here in in our church building where we have a baptistry. No, this was out in the open for everyone to see, saved, unsaved, you know, people that were following God, people that were completely rebellious towards God. It didn't matter. Whoever's walking by, whatever random person's walking by is witnessing this because this is happening at a very popular place. I mean, this is the Jordan River we're talking about. This river wasn't some huge, giant river like the Tigris or the Nile or something like that. Actually, the Jordan River is kind of more like a glorified creek if you really look at it. It's not very wide and at its deepest point, it's only like five or six feet deep. So it's not even super deep and it's a narrow river, but yet it was a very important part of life in those parts. And so people would probably take their animals there to get them watered. They probably would take, uh, go, go to the water for different uses and different resources that were next to the river. And there were paths by the river. And yet there's this crowd of people. And so you're just walking by, you know, you're gonna like go to Walmart or something. And there's like all these people and you stop on your camel and you look over and you're seeing like all these people they're like, what are they doing? And they're all like confessing their sins and being baptized. You're like, oh my gosh, they're baptizing. What in the world are they doing? And so you begin to listen in because this was a public thing and that was kind of part of the point. It was to identify and to mark oneself as someone who recognizes, A, we have sin and we need forgiveness and confessing sin to uh, ask for forgiveness and then symbolically being washed by the water of baptism as a sign of repentance and also as a sign that would mark me as someone who was also in alignment and in agreement of all these other people who were doing the same thing. So it wasn't like some hush-hush thing. It was like, yeah, here I am, I got baptized. And it was like, here I am, I'm repenting, I'm ready. I wanna be counted among those publicly, unashamed, waiting for this coming promised Messiah, for the coming of the kingdom of God. And I wanna prepare my heart and I want to get ready. And it's still the same message that you and I need to hear today is to prepare our hearts and get ready because the king is returning, amen? And so this is part of the preparation of Jesus Christ coming. And so it's interesting because now Jesus comes and as he makes his way, all of a sudden John says, whoa, here, here comes one. I'm not even worthy to lace up his sandals. I'm not, I'm not worthy to do this. And, and then Jesus wants to be baptized. Now, this is very confusing to John and probably confusing to some who would say, but Jesus, you don't need to be baptized. You don't understand what this is for, okay? <laughs> like, let me explain it to you. This is a baptism for repentance, okay? You don't need to repent, right? <laughs> so, so because Jesus hadn't sinned, amen? Jesus was sinless all the way through this whole deal, amen? The perfect, spotless, sinless son of God, never being marred or touched by sin and never having sinned. He, he's, he's not Uh, someone that needs to repent. And man, John has a tough time with this. Let's go over and read a little bit more detail over in Matthew chapter three. So if you can turn over there real quick. Matthew chapter three, let's look at this. Verse 13, 
This is Jesus' interaction with John. This is the same thing, same thing happening, just in a different, a different account. Verse 13 of Matthew 3 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Like John's already going like, no, no, no. If anyone needs to be baptized here, you need to baptize me. I don't need to baptize you. And here's what Jesus responds. He says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Man, we have to understand something. Jesus did not need to be baptized for repentance. So what was the purpose then of Jesus' baptism? What was happening here? Well, there was a lot happening here with Jesus' baptism. A lot more than probably we just realized by reading just these few verses. Jesus' baptism, first and foremost, was the divine confirmation and coronation of the king. His baptism was saying he's here. He is now here. So everybody else, you've been preparing, 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 preparing the way. And then Jesus gets baptized and now he's here. Like the one you've been preparing for, the kingdom of God is coming. God confirms it by opening up the heavens and then like the Holy Spirit falls like a dove. Now in all the Jesus movies I've seen, there's like an actual dove that like, you know, just kind of does, flies down. It doesn't say it was an actual dove. Maybe there was a dove there. I don't know. But all of the descriptions say it was like a dove. So it's something that brought peace, something that brought something that was comforting, something that they knew and it was tangible because they saw the heavens rent. It's the same word used. The heavens were torn apart. That's the same word in the Greek that is also described when the veil was rent and torn in two from the Holy of Holies. The heavens were torn in two. The spirit descends like a dove. And then they audibly hear the voice of God say, this is my beloved son. Everybody hears, oh my goodness. Everyone hears this, this, this proclamation that everything you've been preparing for as you've been baptizing, as you've been repenting, as you've been anticipating the kingdom coming, the kingdom of God coming, it is now the inauguration of that being reality, that it is no longer something you have to anticipate and wait for, it's here, it's here. <coughs> Jesus did not need to be baptized, did not need to be baptized for forgiveness because he was sinless, but understand what he said in Matthew, it's interesting. He said that it is fitting, look what he said. He said, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is making a statement here. He's saying that this is the will of the Father. There were many times in Jesus' life where he announces that the reason I'm doing this is because this is what my Father wills. And he even says, even as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, nevertheless, your will be done. He teaches his disciples to pray, your will be done, right? He's always talking about this idea of obedience and submission and perfect unity with the Father because the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one, amen? And so as he's, as he's 
having this conversation with John. And John's trying to convince him that the roles need to be reversed here. That if anyone needs baptized, John recognizes his sinfulness and he recognizes his own need. And Jesus said, it is fitting that we do this to fulfill the righteous requirement. I believe uh, King James says the righteous requirement. It is a part of the will of God. It's part of what God wants to establish and do. This was showing Christ's purpose before he ever even started his earthly ministry because he was showing that he had come to die, to identify with humanity, and to be raised up in newness of life and to bring the Holy Spirit. Because John said, I just baptized you with water, but there's coming one who's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's one who's coming that's going to do something that this water baptism can't do. It's the Holy Spirit that's gonna be given to you. And you're not just gonna be immersed in water, you're gonna be immersed in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be given the Holy Spirit and he's actually going to live on the inside of you and you're going to be connected to God. The, 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 the veil is about to be torn in two. So prepare your hearts, get ready for this is what John was saying. And so Jesus is showing his purpose in his baptism. He's showing perfect submission to the Father in his baptism. And he's also showing us a pattern that we are to follow. So Jesus also set in motion a pattern for us to follow because prior to his ascension to heaven, he commanded us to go into all the world and to make disciples and to baptize, amen? He's wanting us to baptize wholly in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this isn't a baptism like John's baptism. This is different. See, I'm wanting you to baptize them and I'm wanting them to be marked, to be identified. I'm wanting them to be a part of this. I'm wanting them to recognize what's been done on the cross and I'm wanting them to boldly proclaim that and be unashamed of that and be identified with that through following in the footsteps of Jesus and being baptized. For us to boldly be immersed in all of who God is with unhindered access to him and to symbolically raise up with a new identity, with a newness of life. This is what Jesus was modeling and showing by his coronation, his inauguration, his act of baptism. So yes, he was doing something really huge in this baptism. He was submitting and trusting in the perfect will of the Father as he's walking out the life that he has been called to walk out to do the things that he had done from that point. So this was the beginning. And church, new life is available because Jesus has come and he has brought salvation for us, amen? Here's our big idea for today. A life immersed in Christ will show the fruit of obedience and submission to the Father. Let me say that again. A life immersed in Christ will show the fruit of obedience and submission to the Father. So as I am just immersed in Christ, and this is bigger than any act of water baptism, it is my life, my every moment, my decisions, my priorities. As I'm immersed in Christ, the fruit of that is going to be obedience along the journey. It's gonna be submission along the journey. That's what Jesus modeled. Even as we see Jesus' next step, he was led away to go be tempted. 
And Jesus knew where he was going, and he knew it was going to be difficult. But he went willingly. He went anyway because he was submitting to the perfect will of the Father, showing the perfect unity of the Spirit and of the Father and the Son, showing us the way that we are to trust and obey. And I think that a lot of us, if we're going to be fruitful in our lives, we have to understand that we need to trust God when it makes sense and when it doesn't, because it didn't make sense to John in that moment to baptize Jesus. It just didn't make sense. He's going, this doesn't make sense. And Jesus says, this is the righteous requirement. Let's do it. And he's like, okay. Who are you going to, are you going to argue with God over this thing? I mean, I know none of us ever argue with God over anything. But we see that here's this conversation happening where John has to go, okay, I trust. It doesn't make sense to me. But if you say it's part of the righteous requirement, if you say that it's part of this trusting and obeying thing, I've got to do that, even when it doesn't make sense. Now, understand, in our lives, we want to start with Scripture, right? That's our very first core value at BCC. Scripture is our starting point. We want to start with Scripture. And so when I see things in Scripture, I need to make sure that my life is being anchored to that Scripture and that I am allowing my life to be shaped by that Scripture. I'm not going to that scripture to try to prove all of my thoughts. I'm rather allowing my beliefs to be molded and shaped by the very words of God and letting his spirit lead me and guide me into all truth. So that means that when I come across something difficult, when I come across something that I don't like, but I see in scripture that there's something different than what I think and I don't like it, guess what? It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. Like if I come across something in scripture and go, well, I don't like that. God's like, that's too bad. It's written in scripture and that's part of my character and nature and my will for you. So what's my job in that moment? To submit, to trust and obey. Even when my flesh thinks differently, listen, even when culture wants me to think differently, even when it may not be popular to go that direction, amen, somebody? If scripture says it, I'm gonna go, okay, I'm gonna side with scripture and I'm just gonna have to trust. It may not make sense. I may not fully understand it. I may have done things differently, but God did not consult me when he authored the scripture. So therefore, he's God, I'm not. Not my will be done, your will be done, amen? Those are called commands of God. When we see things clearly in scripture that we are to do, we have to submit to those things and trust those things. But there's this other side to this coin that I want us to understand also. There's this side of convictions that some of us may experience individually that as God leads us and wants us to grow, there may be things that for seasons or maybe even for our lives that he calls us to do that maybe he's not calling everyone else to do. But if we don't do those things, if we don't trust him in those things, it's actually sin for us because God's wanting us to submit. Remember, a life immersed in Christ, the fruit of that is gonna be obedience. And submission. I had a friend um, in Oklahoma, and his name is Sean. And when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma, uh, Sean was on my youth staff, and we were good buddies. And Sean is the biggest Oklahoma Sooners football fan I've ever met in my life. Like huge, huge OU uh, Sooners fan. My dad is a big OU Sooners fan. My buddy Sean, he trumps him in every category because I've never seen Sean not wear OU stuff, you know, like he always is just decked out in OU. He even got his horn on his vehicle converted to the fight song um, 
uh, where it goes, and that's what the horn is on his car. I don't know how safe that is, but that's what Sean's horn is on his car. And God was dealing with Sean at a period in his life. He came to me, he said, Derek, he said, God is speaking to me and um, I believe that I'm supposed to give up OU football this next season. And Sean lived for OU football. He said, it's become an idol in my life and I believe God wants me to get rid of it. And I asked him this question. I said, well, if God's asking you to give that up, what are you gonna replace that time with? Because anytime that God asks you to give something up, we think that somehow we wear as merit badges the fact that we gave this thing up that we felt God was telling us to give up, but what did we replace it with? That can be just as important as the giving up of the thing, even if it's temporary, amen? I mean, it's great that you're gonna fast from drinking Coke or whatever it is that it, you know, your vice is, or, or you're, 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 gonna, you're gonna fast from TV, but what are you gonna do with that time? And I asked Sean, I said, what are you gonna do with that time that you were to spend? And he said, instead of watching the football games, he said, I'm actually gonna take that time to be in the word and be in prayer during every OU football game. And I was like, that's awesome, bro. And so he did that. And it was very hard for him, but he grew tremendously. Now, understand this. If Sean would have watched OU football that season, he would have been sinning. But not everyone who watched OU football that year sinned. Unless you're a Texas fan, then you probably think that, <laughs> that yeah, they were probably doing something wrong. But there, there's places in heaven for, for, for those people too. <clears throat> But I think, I think the idea that we have to understand is that there are convictions that he had that God was leading him to do that he still had to trust and submit. He couldn't find chapter and verse for that, right? He just knew that this was something that was taken in, up in his heart that wasn't inherently sinful. I remember another friend at the same church whose name was Donnie. He was a mentor to me. I love Donnie. I look up to him a lot. Very successful businessman. And Donnie had this super sweet truck. I mean, this thing was like jacked up high. It was extended cab, leather, everything, tricked out beyond what you could get tricked out. It was the coolest truck. And I thought I was cool getting to ride in Donnie's truck because when we would show up places together and we got out, I felt like some of that cool rubbed off on me. Um, some of you are probably thinking you should have spent more time in that truck. I know. But as I hung out with Donnie every Tuesday, we would go out and we would eat Chinese food together. That was our thing. And he would talk to me about life and, 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 and talk about the word and talk about, you know, um, uh, uh, just whatever's going on. We were just really connecting well. And he's just a, such a strong mentoring voice in my life. I love when that big truck would pull up because where my office was at the church was real close to where the parking lot was. And I could just hear that truck, blah, 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 yeah. And like Donnie's here, like, you know, climb up in this big monster truck, you know, it just was awesome. And then one day, it's Tuesday, Donnie says, hey, you good for lunch? Yeah, I'm good for lunch. All of a sudden, about 10, 15 minutes later, I hear plop, 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 plop. I'm like, that, that doesn't sound right. Somebody got a busted up old truck sitting out there in the parking lot. And it was like this 1970 blue and I think cream or white, I'm not sure what color it was supposed to be, rusted out jalopy of a truck that didn't sound like it was barely running and barely being held together, pull up and then there's Donnie as it backfires and exhaust, you know, comes out. You know, the stereotypical thing you'd see on TV, right? Or in a movie or something. And I'm like, oh, 
oh, well, would you look at that? Well, maybe, maybe Donnie's going to take that truck and, and he's going to, you know, re remodel it and make it look super cool because that's totally Donnie, you know. So, hey, man, uh, what's up with this? Uh, you lose a bet, you know. And, and uh, he said, no. He said, I was driving to work the other day. And he said, and I saw that truck sitting on the side of the road with a for sale sign in it. And he said, God spoke to me clearer than I've ever heard him speak to me and said, you're going to drive that for two years and I'm going to humble you. And he said, and you're going to sell your truck. He sold his truck. He had like this big, nice scarab boat. Like, I don't know how many feet, but it was lots of feet that would be impressive to you. Um, if you're a boat person, it was that many feet, the impressive amount. And, um, and, and he had, he, he got rid of his boat, got rid of his truck. And he's driving around because God said, I, I, I want to humble you over these next two years. And Donnie, every Tuesday, picked me up and we got out smelling like exhaust. And, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't as cool but man, I learned so much from that guy. And, and you understand he did this because he had to trust and submit and obey because this is what God was telling him to do. If he had not done that, he would be sinning. Now, not everyone needed to buy that truck, obviously, but God told Donnie to do that. It's what the scripture says in James chapter three, for him who knows what's right to do and does not do it for him, it's sin. So understand that you've got Jesus who's perfectly in alignment and obedience with the will of the Father. John doesn't understand, but yet he has to trust. And God is calling us to trust because for us to be fully immersed in Christ, we're gonna have to trust. That's the fruit of that fully immersion in Christ. It's trusting, it's obeying, it's submitting, it's saying, God, your way, not my way, both in the things I see in Scripture plainly, the things that are plain, plainly spoken of in Scripture, the things that are principled in Scripture that I can see the character and nature and heart of God in. I can see the perfect will of God written out in Scripture and in the individual things in my life that perhaps maybe aren't necessarily written in Scripture, but God is leading me and guiding me by His Spirit. And I have to trust and submit that His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Amen? Jesus' obedience to the will of the Father was showing us the value of the kingdom of God. Remember, this is the inauguration of the kingdom of God being brought to us to trust and obey. Jesus submitted to perfect obedience even to his death on the cross for you and me. He submitted to the will of the Father by going into the wilderness next and being tempted by Satan, even though he knew that was gonna be difficult. So here's what I wanna ask us today. What is God calling you to submit to? What is God dealing with your heart in that you need to trust? Could it be that maybe you haven't even trusted in Christ because there's no such thing as halfway immersed into Christ. There's no such thing as one foot in with Christ and one foot out. You're either all in or you're not. You're either all in or you're not. Are, are, are you going to be in with Christ because you see who he is and the value of who he is. And like those who were prepared for his coming, who were anxiously awaiting, they saw their sin and they saw their need for a savior. And then when Jesus came on the scene, he provided a way where there was no way. He made the way that is still open for you and for me so that all would come and confess and believe and all would come and repent and be baptized, amen? So all could come and be marked. Be marked as a part of the family of God. 
I would encourage you that if you are a person here today that perhaps hasn't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, could, to, could today be the day where your heart has been stirred, where you've been drawn, where it's time for you to say yes to Jesus. Perhaps today you are a Christ follower, you're someone who has placed your hope and trust in Jesus, but man, you, 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 you keep getting caught up, getting drifting away from the things that you know that he's calling you to. What do I need to do? You need to repent, plain and simple. Not just say you're sorry. Repent doesn't mean just to say I'm sorry. That's a part of it. But repentance literally means to turn, to turn away. Because Jesus has freed you from those sins, amen? He's freed you from that baggage. And you have a church family to help surround you, to help encourage you, sharpen you, hold you accountable, be in fellowship with you, to spur you on to good works. That's what we're to do as a body. So I want to pray and I want to ask God to help us with these things. Let's keep going deeper in Mark and see what all God does in our hearts and in our church. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your word. Help us to be doers of your word, not just hearers only. Let us not deceive ourselves. And God, if there's something you're calling us to or calling us away from, something you're calling us to embrace or let go, Lord, help us to see that clearly and be obedient. Help us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and bear the fruit of those who identify as Christ, those who identify as a part of the family of God, those who identify as those who have been marked by you. We thank you, Lord, for your salvation, for your love, and for your kindness and your mercies. In Jesus' name, amen.